Well, we are in the middle of a series. We are doing part three today on the theme, Courage to Live Out Your Destiny. We are using Ephesians 2.10 as our main text, which reads, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. When Paul wrote this, he was writing to the Christians in Ephesus and in essence telling them that the fact that we now know Christ as Savior and Lord, we are to do good works. We did explain that we understand that good works will not buy us a place in heaven or a special place in heaven. We can never go to heaven because of our good works. But after we have come to know Christ, a Savior and Lord, we are expected to do good works, which Paul says God ordained these good works for us that we should walk in them. In other words, there are certain achievements that God has placed aside for you to do in this world. We are created by God as men and women on assignment. We are men and women on a mission. For that reason, we need to live our lives as men and women who are purpose-driven. We're not in this world just to fill up the space, but we are here to have impact. And so we started, first of all, by talking about how we need to learn how to embrace each day as a gift from God. That each day that we have, it's another opportunity God gives us to have impact in the world. Last week, Sunday, we talked about giving the essence of living. And we saw from scriptures how that we need to live lives as generous people, people who give, because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Today, we want to talk under the subtitle, Born to be a Blessing. And I want to use Genesis 12 as our main text for today. And I'm reading Genesis 12, verse 2. We read both NIV Bible, rather, NIV Bible, New Living Translation, and the complete Jewish Bible. I'm reading Genesis 12, 2. God talking to Abraham says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Somebody say, I will make you. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. The New Living Translation, that third part of that verse reads, and you will be a blessing to others. So after I've made you, after I've blessed you, after I've made your name great, you'll be a blessing to others. The complete Jewish Bible says, and you are to be a blessing. Look at your neighbor and say, you are to be a blessing. In other words, when you read that verse, what it's really telling us is that the highest level of living is not being blessed. I knew I wouldn't get many amens out of that one. Oh, we love to be blessed. And I love to be blessed. We all love to be blessed. And when we say blessed, we're talking about, you know, God giving us things and doing things for us and all of that. And to me, by the way, being blessed is not just limited to material things. It has to do with more. But we all love to be blessed. But God is saying, you know, the reason I'm blessing you is that I want you to be a blessing. So the highest level of living 
is being blessed. That's what God says to Abraham. God says, I'll make you. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And you'll be a blessing. So in other words, the reason for all these things that I'm doing is that you should get to a point in your life where you live beyond yourself. So being blessed is really our pursuit. Being a blessing, rather, is what we want. We want to live that kind of life where we are a blessing. God calls Abram to take this great leap of faith, calls him out of his country, calls him out of his home, leave everything you have, venture onto this journey that I'm taking you on. God says, I'll be with you. Just trust me with your life. God says, you know what I'll do? I will make you. I will mold you. Uh, you know, God finds us broken and with no direction, with no purpose in life. You know, as, a, as the book of Ephesians t- tells us and the book of Peter, it says, you know, we were once not a people, but now we are the people of God. We once didn't have hope, but now we have hope. God finds us like that, makes us and molds us and shapes us. And then as it bless. Eh? And things start working in our lives. And, and, then, and then people soon start knowing about you. Even those who didn't know you, you know, you become famous. It doesn't matter even if it's only three people who know you, you are famous. Look at <laughs> but then God says, you know, it's not all about you having things. You have a good spiritual life and people knowing about you. It's about you being a conductor of my blessing. A conduit, a channel of my blessing. God says, the reason I'm doing this, Abraham, is that I want all families of the earth to be blessed in you. And the reason I'm turning your life around and, and changing your life around, not only of your family, not only of the nation, is that I want everybody to be blessed. So, in other words, we are to be blessed by God in order that we might be a blessing to others. We need to learn how to count our blessings so that we should be able to turn and bless other people as well. Now, note, different commentaries, Kel Delich, this is their comment on this verse, and I quote, Abram was not only to receive blessing, but to be a blessing. Tell your neighbor, you need to be a blessing. They continue to say, not only to be blessed by God, but to become a blessing or a medium of blessings, a conduit of blessings. You know, uh, Dr. Matola was preaching in the first service and he used a good illustration that I loved. You know, you know, when you are a conduit or a conductor, it's almost like, you know, when we receive water from our taps, you know, the, 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 the copper taps, the pipes there are simply a conduit. Water passes through them. You know, even if they receive water, the water, the water will touch them and affect them, but their water is really meant for somebody else. And after you drink the water, you, you love the water, and you don't really say much about the conductor or the tap. How many of you, after you drank the water, you say, hey, those copper, those copper, those copper pipes are something else. You don't ever say that. But in the process, even if the copper pipes are transporting the water, they also get wet from that water. They are also touched by the water. All right, so even if you are a channel of blessings, those blessings now are Yeah, but we are to be a channel. We are to be a conduit of blessings. Jameson Fawcett comments and says, thou shalt be a blessing. In other words, this speaks of being a blessing in the concrete sense. 
In other words, you are to be an object of blessing. See, you need to understand when people come to you and ask for help. And I don't know, sometimes we may not be very glad to help people. I, I, I'm not getting any amens here. <laughs> See, when people come for help, when, when, when your family has issues and they come to you for counseling, hmm, and they come to you for assistance, that's because there's something that you carry. Yeah. You're a blessing. Yeah, some of your amens are not very convincing, but I'll take whatever you give me this morning. But it says, it means you have to be an object of blessing. Barnes says the higher blessing is expressed in these remarkable terms. And be thou a blessing. He is not to be merely a subject of blessing, but a medium of blessings to others. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So the, the Lord here confers on Abraham the delightful prerogative of dispensing good to others. Can you imagine? You are just a dis- you know, like, like a dispenser. You know, when you go to the hospital, they say, you, you know, after they've checked you, the doctor says you need medication, you go to the dispenser. And then you go to the dispenser, they give you medication. Imagine when you are not a dispenser of medication, but you are a dispenser of blessings. What a life. What a life. Just to be a conduit. God using you to be a giver. So we therefore need to stop looking at everything from a consumer standpoint. You know, sometimes we, when we get things, we want to use them on us. You know? God wants us to go beyond being a consumer. Yeah, amens this morning. However little, I'm going to take them. But we need to stop looking at everything as consumers. We need to stop looking at everything from the standpoint of getting. Because the highest level of living the Christian life is not consuming. Is not getting. The highest level is being a blessing. Hallelujah. Zacchaeus, whom the Bible tells us about in Luke 19, if you can turn there. Very interesting how he understood this principle just when he had his encounter with Christ. It says there in Luke 19, reading from verse 1, Jesus entered into Jericho and he was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now let's stop there for a while. When you read the history of what was happening at the time, there were these guys who were tax collectors. You know, they worked for the receiver of revenue. And they were very unscrupulous and corrupt, these guys. In that they charged more taxes than they should get. They would even hold people ransom and threaten people, take people's belongings from them. So as a result of this corruption, they were very rich. So you've got to understand, this guy, I mean, the life he lived wasn't great. Even the wealth he had, he didn't get it in a just way. All right. So here's this guy. Look at the way he's living. I mean, and everybody knew about it. At that time, the Jewish people disliked the tax collectors. They didn't have anything to do with them. Because, remember, at that time, the Jews were under the Roman government, which had oppressed them. And they had put a burden on them, not only of other things, but also of laying a burden of heavy taxes on them. So when you came working for that government to get taxes... 
from the people who felt the government was unjust. People didn't like you at all. So this guy wasn't like my people. So he's really not nice. And this is not the kind of person that, generally speaking, you'd want to associate with. But note what it says in verse 3. It says, this man wanted to see Jesus. Isn't it interesting that no matter how we live and no matter how corrupt we may be, we just find an attraction in God, in Jesus Christ. He wanted to see Jesus. But being a short man, I won't say anything. He could not because of the crowd. So what did he do? Verse 4. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. You know, this kind of tree has got very thick leaves. And, and once you get into it, no one can even see that there's someone in the tree. So he climbs in the tree and he makes sure that he is strategically positioned because he knows Jesus is going to pass that way. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. I mean, how would you, how would you act? I mean, how would you behave? Here you are. You got into a tree privately. Nobody saw you. You thought. Okay. And, and I think not only did he get into the tree to see Jesus, he didn't want other people to see him in public. Particularly next to a holy man of God. So he's hiding peacefully. He's right there in the tree. And when Jesus gets there, he just stands right underneath the tree and just looks up. <laughs> Now you'll understand the next verse. It says, and Jesus looked up and said to him, come down immediately. I must come to your house. Verse 6, he came down at once. I don't know if he fell out of the tree or whatever, but I don't know. But whatever he did, he came down very quickly off that tree. Now note, verse 7. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, gossip. They said, Jesus has gone to be a guest of a sinner. So now you can see the tension. People cannot understand this Jesus. How do you go and visit a guy who is so evil and who's so corrupt? But you see, Barcelona, all of us, we need God's help in our lives. Yeah. And we need to not be judgmental of other people because we don't know how God is working in their hearts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure these people who complain must have been church people. Look at your neighbor and say, I, know, I don't know if it was you, but it... Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Oh. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What a change. He's just had an encounter with Jesus just for a split second. Hmm? He, he has just received the blessing of Jesus saying, I'm coming to your house. And immediately Zacchaeus seems to understand, you know what? I'm not just blessed for me. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Can I hear an amen? amen? When Jesus blessed Zacchaeus by agreeing to go into his home, an act, by the way, in this culture, being an act of hospitality, made all sorts of statements. When Jesus said, I'm coming to your house, it meant I'm accepting you. It meant I welcome your friendship. It meant I honor you. 
So Zacchaeus doesn't even wait for Jesus to come, doesn't even wait for dinner time to come. He starts announcing that I'm changing from my corrupt ways. He says, because I've been touched by Jesus, because I've had an encounter with Jesus, I am changing from now onwards. If I have, if I have taken anything from anybody and have defrauded anybody, I will take it back to them fourfold. So he didn't take the blessing and pay Jesus. Instead, he used his blessing to bless other people. This man gave from the bottom of his heart. He understood a blessing at gut level that when God blesses me, I've got to bless other people. Wow. Many of us are like this man. We've had an encounter with Christ. Jesus has come into our lives to change our lives, gave us a new day in our lives. But the question is, can we be like Zacchaeus in terms of being a blessing? You ask me the question, how can I be a blessing? Five ways we can become blessings. I'll go through them quickly. Number one, become a reconciler. See, the Bible says we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 from verse 18, it says, And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Know that. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made, we could be made right with God through Christ. So what the Bible is saying is, we came to know Christ. We were reconciled to God through knowing Christ. And now that we have come to know Christ, we also need to reconcile people to God. See, when we tell people about Christ, when we go out and evangelize, when we tell people one-on-one, when we invite people, when we say, come and see, all of that, when we busy ourselves with the mission of introducing people to Christ, then we are playing our role as reconcilers. In other words, I'm saying when I tell others about Christ is that I don't just want the blessing to add with me. I want to be a blessing in your life by introducing you to the one who changed my life. So we become a blessing by reconciling people to God. You know what the Bible says? He that winneth souls is wise. One of the things that God loves is when you and I will live our lives to tell others about Christ. We call to reconcile, not only reconcile people to God, but reconcile people to people. We are to be peacemakers, not fan the flames of strife and division. Well, the amens might be disappearing in a short while. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The New Living Translation reads, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. See, when we become peacemakers, God said, my blessing is going to rest upon your life. Can I hear an amen? So we should become a blessing, Barcelona, by making peace among people. We shouldn't fend the flames of discord among people. 
We should have been going around and causing people to fight among each other. If anything, we should be doing our best that people should be reconciled. Note what the book of Proverbs says. Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 19. It says, these things the Lord hates. I'm reading you the Bible now. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven. They are an abomination to him. One, a proud look. Two, a lying tongue. Three, hands that shed innocent blood. Four, a heart that devises wicked plans. Five, feet that are swift in running for evil. Number six, a false witness who speaks lies. And then seven, one who sows discord among brethren. Says God hates it. In short, God is provoked when we sow discord among people instead of being peacemakers. We should never in any way be party to any form of division. Should never be. We should never be. You know, in the church world, Barcelona, it's in our world as preachers, it's, it's, it's a difficult world. Because <laughs> you are human like everybody. You know? So when you are together, you know, somebody's name comes up and, 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 and someone says, hey, so-and-so is doing this. And you know, it's like if there's a group of you and, and the next one adds this and the next one adds this. Have you ever heard the stories when they start? You know, someone says this, the other one adds. By the time the, the fifth person says whatever they say, this thing has been so decorated. And sometimes church people love to fight and I'm of grace, I'm of Peter, I'm of Apollos. And God says, when it comes to that, I hate that. I hate that. The common Jewish Bible reads, God hates a false witness who lies with every breath. And him who sows strife among brothers. We shouldn't sow strife in our families. We shouldn't sow strife in churches. We shouldn't be sowing strife in our workplace. We shouldn't be sowing strife at school. We shouldn't be sowing strife. If anything, we should be trying to reconcile people. Look at the neighbor who's not saying amen and say, why are you quiet now? Yeah. And you know, Basalan, the easiest thing in the world is to sow discord. To go to one person and say, so and so said this about you. And then we add something else. And then go to the other one and say, you know, so and so, what they said about you. So we try to have friends by causing people to fight among one another. Bible says when you're a peacemaker, you'll walk in the blessing. That's how we can be a blessing. In our families, when people fight, be the reconciler. Yeah. Be the rec- and sometimes when you try to reconcile people, both of them may turn on you. It's okay, but bring peace. Yeah. Sit people down. Get them to talk. Or if you can, lobby them one-on-one. Talk to them in private. Bring peace. But Zanana, we shouldn't be having homes where, you know, it's like, uh, it's like civil war going on. It's like World War II going on in one house. Shouting and screaming and throwing dishes around, throwing chairs at each other, insults and people not talking to each other, you know, huh? people not even wanting to look at each other, nothing. If anything, your testimony as a Christian 
Your testimony, the way we preach the gospel to our family members should be that we are those who are doing our best to seek for peace. Now, seeking for peace doesn't mean we won't engage the issues. Doesn't mean we won't talk. We will talk, but we will do our best. And sometimes being a peacemaker seems to allow the other person to be right. That you are wrong. I said, no, you are right. Just to get them to calm down and deal with the issues. Look at it and say, well, you're not saying amen, but you need to be a peacemaker. <laughs> Number two, we become a blessing by living to show forth the praises of God. And I'll explain that. First Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people, so that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Peter 2, 9, the contemporary Jewish Bible says, complete Jewish Bible says, but you are a chosen people, the king Kohanim, a holy nation, a people for God to possess. So we are God's possession. We are owned by God. Then it says, why? Why are we possessed by God? Why does God own us? In order for you to declare the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The Moffat translation says, you are called, you are God's possession, so that you may proclaim the wondrous deeds. 20th century New Testament says, you are entrusted with the proclamation of the goodness of God. What does that mean? What it means is this, Barcelona. When we live lives that honor God, when we live lives that are yielded to God, and we glorify God in the way we live, people will find an attraction in God. So the way to be a blessing is live for God, not pretense, hmm? not a super spirituality that's not there. Because you know, sometimes people think you know, to be spiritual now you must be walking on air all the time. You know, you can't talk to the people because you're listening to the Lord. You know, you don't go to sports, you don't play soccer, you don't, no, 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 no. Just live in an authentic way. But, but let Christ live through you in your life. As someone who loves people, who cares for people, who lives for God. And as you live like that, though your family members may not tell you, they are watching the way you live. Oh, I've heard story after story after story after story of people who got saved. Because they watch their family. Here's one of them. He told me that them can't. Here's that them can't here. You know how we come to, came to church? You know how we came to church, Barcelona? You know how we came to church? I'll tell you how we came to church. He used to, his children and his wife, Mamam Conto, started attending the church when we were still at homemakers. So, you know, he used to drive them to church as we do men drop them there, and go away. But then, he, he, these are his own words. He says, you know, somehow I started noticing that my children are changing and my wife is changing. He says, somehow when they came back from church, they were so different. And over time, they became such different people. He, in his own words, he says, you know, sometimes even if we had fought with my wife before she went to church, when she came back, she was such a different woman. And he said, I started wondering, what is it that they're getting at that place? Yeah. So we were at homemakers. You remember at homemakers, 
You know, it was just a roof we had. The whole place is just open. So he said he decided he's going to try and listen in, but he doesn't want them to know. <laughs> you know how we guys are, of course. So he would drop the family, in inverted commas, drive away. The minute they got into the, I can't call it building, whatever. The minute they got under the whatever, wherever. Still a church. It's a church. Yeah, it's a church. Yeah. So he would then drive back, you know, and, and open the window of the car and listen in on the sermon. He said, the more I listened, the more I liked this thing. And it, and it was making sense. And soon he said, then I decided to drop them, leave. Then I would drive back, get out of the car, and make sure I sit right at the back. And before you close the service, I would walk away. And, <laughs> and then one day he came, and the usual thing is sitting at the back, and then we made an altar call. He says, then he forgot that <laughs> he forgot he forgot that by the way I'm not at church as he made his way to the front he didn't know what brought him to the front here he is today, he's got a wonderful family he's saved, serving in the church yeah? we want to give a shout out to sis Nora your wife and your children if it were not because of them you wouldn't be here today my friend what did they do? They lived to show forth the praises of God. In the way you live. Just the way you live. You know, you become a blessing. People know peace by looking at you. They know contentment by looking at you. They know how God can change their lives just by looking at you. May you be that person in the neighborhood in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, number three. Become a philanthropist or a giver. We become a blessing by being givers. In Acts chapter 10, we read about Cornelius. It says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion. That was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man, one to fear God, and he gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. I won't read the whole story. But you know, Cornelius gave so much that one day God sent an angel to him. And when the angel came to Cornelius, this is what the angel says, your prayers and your giving has come up before God as a memorial. Your prayers and your giving. Yeah. One translation says, he gave generously to the poor. The NIV says, he gave generously to those in need. See, his love for God led him to love other people. See, love proves its sincerity in the act of charity and giving. See, you give because you love. You give because you're compassionate. You give because you sense in your heart other people need your help. We read about a woman by the name of Dorcas in Acts chapter 9. From verse 36, it says, In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas. Note what it says who was always doing good and helping the poor. And at that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. 
Lida was ne- near Joppa. When the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and asked him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. I mean, this is a kind of person, when they pass on in the community, huh? they've been doing so much good that when they pass on in the community, we know that they're not there. Somebody once asked a minister a serious question and asking us, I wasn't there, but even though they posed the question to that minister, it's a question we can pose to the church at large. And he said, if your church was to close down, would the community know that you're no longer there? The only way for the community to know the presence of the church is when the church gets involved in reaching out to the community, in doing good works, doing things that are good, ministering to our community, not only in preaching, but in helping people who are poor, in ministering to the needs of those who need to be assisted. And that's the question. Oh, sometimes we can be so ingrown and so inward looking that even when we're no longer there, the the community doesn't even feel any difference. Hmm? But not so with Dockers. How about you? Will people know when you're no longer there? Will they feel that there's a, there's a gap that this man and this woman has left? Dorcas was like that. She gave. And when she passed on, people missed her. Thank God when Peter came, she raised her from the dead. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. And the Lord will pay back what he has given. Let's become a blessing, Barcelona, by finding a need in our community and filling it. Doesn't have to be only money. There may be an old gogo on your street whose children have abandoned her. She might be too old to even sweep the yard or, or mow the lawn or clean the house. Huh? You and I, we can be the Tabitas and the Dorcases of the time. Oh, yeah. You don't have to preach to them about Jesus as Savior. You don't have to say, and all you need to say is, Coco, can I come and help you? Coco, can I come and clean your house? And you go in there and clean Coco's house. Do you know if you keep doing that after a while, Coco, the first question to Coco will ask you, That's the first question. The, you see, the minute you do that, people want to know more about you. They want to know what is it that motivates you. And in that way, you can be able to tell them about the God who has changed your life, the God who has blessed you, and that is why you are a blessing to them. Can I hear an amen in the house? So many needs around us. Families, you know, there are some families around. I know in in our neighborhood, I was so blessed, you know, and I don't want to go into too many details. But you know, when you look around in the community, there's always something you can do. I'm telling you, Barcelona. You don't have to be a rich person. No. You don't have to have so much achievement. All you need to have is a heart that has compassion. Yeah. And it's a blessing when you see what God does over the long haul. You know, some of the young people in our communities that, you know, over time one tried to help, you know. See, some young people, the, the home they come from may be so dysfunctional. And you see potential in this young person. 
and shame them. They're not guided at home. You, you take interest in them. It doesn't have to be long. Just a few words of encouragement. Hmm? Sometimes you find out they need this. You give them some money and so on. You know, after 10, 20 years of doing that, when you see how much God has raised their life, oh my goodness. What a blessing. What a blessing. I said, what a blessing. To see that God uses your life to touch somebody else's life. I know this is difficult for us to listen to because, you know, our background, unfortunately, has moved us into a situation where often we want to get. But we want to live the highest level of living. We want to become a blessing more than being blessed. Number four, we become a blessing by being intercessors, those who pray for others. I took two cards here of our family in Crossroad. I've got uh, Joseph, Mitza, and Jeremy Phillips and his wife, both of them. I'm going to be praying for them myself. What a blessing it is, but I want to pray for others. Uh, uh, and isn't it wonderful? Prayer knows no distance. Uh, you, you can have a sense of love and affinity to people who are on the other side of the world. And we can reach out in prayer. You know, when you pray, you become a blessing. And it doesn't cost you anything to pray. Just time. Note what the book of Timothy says. First Timothy 2, 1 to 5. Therefore I exert first of all that supplication, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. Here are my all men. I'm going to be praying for them. And when it says men, it's men and women too. You know that, right? For kings and for all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Verse 3, it says, for this is good. What is good? What is good? And acceptable in the sight of God. What is good when we pray for others? That's good in the sight of God. Hmm? When we come before God and instead of putting ourselves first, hmm? instead of asking a blessing for ourselves, we ask a blessing for others. You know, oftentimes when, you know, like somebody said, he said, some, you know, some people, the way they pray, it's almost like the guy who prays says, God bless me, bless my wife, my two children, and no more, amen. <laughs> Sometimes that's how our prayers go, that when we get into the presence of God, we may be the first item on the agenda. But Paul says, let the first item on the agenda be other people. And he says, this is good. This is good and it's acceptable in the sight of God. Why? He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's pray for others. Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for our nation. Just in four days, how we have changed as a nation. Hey! Four days! Four days! Ah, that's right, my brother. Yeah. God has removed that veil of darkness and discouragement and depression. My goodness, there is such a sense of hope in the nation. Ah! A sense of enthusiasm. Yeah, we know maybe things haven't changed as yet necessarily. But my goodness, like in the days of Nehemiah, people have a mind to work. So we need to pray for our leaders. It's a mammoth task they are facing. You know, I was trying to think about it, what uh, our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, has to do. I tell you. 
I mean, just running a church, this is very small as compared to running a nation. This is very, very small. This is, you know, it's, it's hard enough to run this church and there are a few branches. You know, you see the hair is already gone. <laughs> I tell you. And I was just thinking, just imagine having to change and bring a new culture. Oh, we need to support our president, Wazaram. Yeah. All sectors, let every man, every woman do what is necessary to move this country forward. We have a beautiful nation. What Desmond Tutu calls the rainbow nation. Made up of all people, all colors, all tribes, all tongues, all gifts, all people groups. We are made up of people of all different economical statuses, all religious groups, all kinds of people. My goodness, let's make this country work. What do you say, Basala? I said, let's make this country work. What do you say? And of the many things that we can do, one of them is to bring our leaders before God and pray for them. Yeah, remember them in your prayers when you pray for them. Can I hear an amen in the house? And number five, in conclusion, shine your light where you are. Where you are, where you are. Whatever corner you are at, shine your light there. Matthew 5 verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. Huh? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Please listen. God has transformed your life. Like Abraham. God has made you. God has blessed you. God has made your name great. You can't hide anymore. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. God has brought his light in your life. Like what Peter was saying. God has brought his light in our lives. We are his chosen people. We are his royal priesthood. We are his peculiar people. We are God, people who are possessed by God. We are his own possession. But the agenda is that we should show for the praises of God. And the Bible says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15, neither do men light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Every one of us, there's a difference we can make somewhere. Whatever corner. Yeah, whatever corner. Wherever you are, make a difference. I just made an example. Just down the street. Just your neighbor there. Maybe your light there would be just to go do the gardening there. That's all. You don't have to preach. You don't have to know Greek and Hebrew. You don't have to stand in front of thousands of people speaking. But my goodness, you can make a difference. Just imagine for a while, Barcelona, how the church world would be if every person in churches, all in a nation, was to decide that I'm going to live to be a blessing. Can you imagine the impact we would have in this nation? When you and I roll up our sleeves and look for opportunities to be a blessing. Because we understand I was, I was born not only to be blessed, I was born to be a blessing. I came into this world not only for my own mission, but I came into this world to be a representative of heaven. 
Somebody once said, we all need to preach the gospel and if needs be, use less words. But preach the gospel through our deeds. And sometimes the mission of Christ and the vision of God to reach the world gets frustrated because what we say and what we do sometimes do not match. But imagine if everybody here, all of us, all of us, when we leave this place today, we could be looking around to say, where can I be a blessing? Where can I be a blessing? And let that be the mission of your life. God grant us the grace. I said God grant us the grace to be a blessing in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Give the Lord a big hand of praise. It's worth it to be praised. Hallelujah. There are people who are here today, maybe as I was talking about Zacchaeus, you looked at your life and said, you know what, I haven't had an encounter with Christ at all. I note that encountering Jesus Christ brings a change in someone's life. And I want my life to be changed by Jesus Christ. I'm not living in a way that pleases God. But today I'm making that decision. I want to invite Christ into my life. I want Jesus to come into my heart and make me a child of God. I want Jesus Christ to come into my life and give me a new life, a totally different life. I don't want to continue living the way I've been living. I want God to come into my life and change my life. Can we all bow our heads? And close our eyes all over the place, please. Hallelujah. If you are here this afternoon, this morning rather, and you say, please pray for me. I want to invite Jesus Christ into my heart, into my life. Would you please pray for me? My life is not pleasing to God. And today I want to make that decision. I don't want to leave this place. My life being what it is. Please, would you bring me before God? I want a changed life. Please pray for me. Would you raise your hand if that is you and you need the prayer? Just raise your hand right where you are. I want to pray for you. As you invite Jesus. Thank you for those hands. Keep them raised. All over the place. Thank you. Only God, only Jesus changes lives. We are what we are today because of his love, his grace, his mercy. We were just like Zacchaeus. Our lives all messed up. Going in the wrong direction. Doing things that we didn't want to do. Trying to stop and live in a different way. But we didn't have the power to do so. Until Christ came into our lives. Thank you for those hands that are raised. I ask all the people who raised their hands. Would you please stand on your feet right where you are. Please. Can you stand on your feet right where you are? Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All over this place. Even right in the foyer. I can see you right at the back. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if we have people in the overflow hall. If there's people in the overflow hall, you stand on your feet right there in the overflow hall. All over, all over the place. Don't, don't be afraid. Just stand on your feet. Stand on your feet. This is your day of change. This is your day of transformation. You don't need to be afraid of it. 
When you see us the way we are, God changed our lives and transformed our lives. And, and we know it's because of Christ coming into our lives that our lives are different. I want to pray for you. This is such an important and major decision that you're making in your life. I really would love to pray for you. I'm going to invite all of you, please. If you could take all your belongings. Don't leave any of your belongings behind, all right? Just take all your belongings in your arms. And if you could just walk to the front and come stand in the front as we pray together. Just come right now. Thank you, Lord. Come. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Give them a hand. Come on.